Welcome. I'm glad you're here. You're listening to Banjo Chat, where I bring in amazing banjo players and chat with them about their life, their music, their stories, their pitfalls, inspirations, and advice. So join us on this journey into Banjo Chat. Hello, hello. This is the Banjo Chat, and I'm your host, Hilary Hawk. Good morning, good evening, good afternoon, wherever you are. I'm ready to go here. I've got the lights dimmed. I'm ready to talk. I hope you're out there doing what you do, multitasking, listening, driving, eating your breakfast, doing the dishes, whatever. Hope you're getting the right kind of distraction from your normal life. I've been thinking a lot lately about being a slight introvert. You know, I love being alone. I really do. Um, I also love being on stage and performing, and I like doing that a lot. So I don't know. It's weird. I never thought I'd be in this predicament in my life. I think being a musician is like having a really big family and you have to get along with all your siblings. And sometimes you just need to take a break and you need to just be alone. Um, You know, like being a musician, in a way, it teaches you a lot about life. You know, when you have a band or you get hired for gigs, you have to get along with people. And I think for a lot of people, that's the hardest part of being in a band. Some personalities just don't mix, you know. I usually have a pretty easy time, but then, you know, there's that one little thing that drives you crazy that someone said or someone did, and I don't know. That's that's what life is about. It's learning how to deal with these things, you know. It's like any job. Getting along with people is kind of the key element. If you can get along with people, laugh things off, brush it off, it's not a big deal And at the end of the day. So I don't know. I guess it's just that for me, it's easy to be alone. And it also takes effort to go out and be around people. And I I guess that's like the normal human experience. I think that I'm just realizing that this podcast means a lot to me because I get to talk to people that I normally don't get out and talk to. And so, you know, strangely enough, it's not all about that I love every banjo player and that I love every banjo and like my whole life is banjos. Uh... It's more about the banjo players that I do like. It's about discovering what it is, like when we really listen, what it is that makes them special, what, what is it that makes them stand out, and are they, they going kind of like a, above and beyond in the banjo world? Are they doing something that's different and unique and uh, really from the heart? That's what's, that's what's really important to me. Um, so, yeah, I hope we get to learn from this experience, and uh, it means something to you. So I'm super excited about my guest today. I can't even keep up with the amount of music that she's putting out. I've wanted her on here since the beginning. You know, if you want to learn about songwriting, if you want to learn about banjo and songwriting, this is this is how it's done. Um, the songs and the banjo playing um, that she's doing all have a strong sense of identity. You know, I'm blown away by by, by the albums, by the music. It's fearless songwriting. There's imagery, there's meaningful lyrics fused in. It's absolute poetry. Um, sometimes the music's soothing and calm, and sometimes there's chord changes and arrangements that that just make you want to question everything. <laughs> and then make you want to dance, too. She's, she's doing her own thing, not trying to fit into a box. At least that's what it appears to me. You know, I'm not... She'll, she'll tell you, like, what she's doing, but that's what it appears to me. Um... Our guest today is Kaya Cater. Thank you for being on the show. Oh my God, Hillary, thank you for having me on the show. And finally, we get to have a, an, an episode with banjo players with alliterative names. Hillary Hawk and Kaya <laughs> Cater. This is my dream come true. <laughs> yeah, me too. Me too. I'm glad you brought that up. <laughs> Somebody had to, you know. Yeah, right. Oh, man. So are you on the road now? Where are you? Where are you staying? You know, I know you've been in and out of Brooklyn a bit once in a while, but like, where are you right now? So um, you're right. I have been kind of like all over the place, but I currently am splitting my time between Brooklyn and in Canada. So I live in Kensington uh, now in South Brooklyn. I'm this is I'm here right now. Um, And uh, I also uh, live part time in Newfoundland in Canada. I recently bought a house there with my mom. Um, So yeah, I'm, I'm like, I'm, I'm everywhere still, but definitely more time in Brooklyn these days. You are more of an adult than 
I've ever imagined a person to be. You bought a house that is awesome. Um, and as a banjo player, buying a house, I I, off- I applaud you. That's awesome. <laughs> Thank you. Thank you. Yeah. Uh, it turns out that that you can you can buy a house if you have like a little bit of money for a down payment. I I don't know. I they just they said that I could buy it, and I was surprised. it's like that should be like the medal of achievement like as a as a musician i think (laughs) yeah i mean i don't know i feel like teaching oscar isaac the banjo is that's an that's a pretty great achievement in and of itself so (laughs) hey you got me you got me there yeah no he's he's just he picked it up like in a week i was like damn it you talented people (laughs) you talented a-list celebrities like jeez louise Ah, hilarious. But uh, you're from Quebec, right? Yeah, that's right. I was born in Montreal, Quebec. Oh, nice. Most of my family is from there. Yeah. So how did you how did you end up in Brooklyn? I know that's kind of like a vague, basic question. But um, yeah, how did you end up down here? Yeah, well, so um, I feel like a lot of my life was actually spent going back and forth between the states. My my grandparents lived about kind of 30 miles from from the uh new york state border and so we would mm. go over to um to like malone new york and um oh, yeah. yeah we would like go back and forth all the time and and uh some of my family used to um vacation in chincoteague in maryland um and so i actually ended up you know, in, in when I was of college age, I, I ended up going to school in West Virginia uh, for four years. And um, when I graduated, I was off of a student visa, but I, you know, tried to get a performance visa, a P2 visa. Um, and I was granted that visa. And so ever since, I think, 2016, I've sort of been like renewing visas and recently got an O1 visa, which is great because it lets you stay in the states for as long as you want um, and go back and forth with more freedom and then also my partner Andrew is a is a bass player and he's American and so it kind of made sense in a lot of ways to move to Brooklyn you know when I met him he was already living here and and visiting more and more I really started to like it and there are world-class musicians here and you know, I, I love it. A- aside from like the occasional mice, mouse or roach um, or rat, you know, I feel like I, I you know, bliss. It's bliss. <laughs> Except for all the times when it's not. But, you know. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. No, I hear you about that. I have a I just got a bug zapper that I have inside my apartment. <laughs> That like zaps like those little like tiny bugs or whatever, whatever ends up in your apartment, which is never thought I'd have a bug zapper in my apartment. Wait, what, but, does, yeah, what does that's... a bug zapper do? Does it like electrocute mm-hmm. them or something? Yeah, it's like something that you would have like outside camping, but the bug zapper actually says it's good for indoor or outdoor. So I was like, well, I'm going to bring it inside. And honest to God, I zap probably two to three bugs a day that I'm like, What? That there's bugs in the apartment, like just little flies and stuff. I'm like, oh my gosh. Okay, that's amazing. I need to check that out. Yeah, well, anyway, I mean, I don't want to gross people out that are listening. And <laughs> this is just a fact of life, like living in Brooklyn. I've, I've Airbnb'd for, to people and they're like, I saw a cockroach. And I'm like, well, it's yeah. Brooklyn. Like, that, you know, you're going to see it. Yeah, you can't, you can't be that scandalized seeing seeing a roach you know you're not gonna have a good time here if if you're scandalized seeing a roach (laughs) i know right well you mentioned andrew a great bass player i love him great guy always just super sweet yeah andrew ryan um your partner awesome and uh yeah a great reason to move to brooklyn i i uh, (laughs) agree with you um yeah that's great well um you know, you've been f- you've been focused on music and focused on your music career for a long time now. Um, yeah, when did you start playing? Um, so I started playing banjo when I was hmm, like a, a twelve or something, like very much preteen years. Um, as I said before, you know, my family would go 
to the States all the time. And my mom got really into bluegrass music after Oh Brother, Where Art Thou came out. Um, and more into Americana too, but I think there was something about bluegrass that drew her in. And, you know, I think she discovered it through like Nitty Gritty Dirt Band a little bit and also Alison Krauss, um, who was all over that soundtrack. Um, and of course, John Hartford. But by the time, this was around 2002 or 2003. And so by the time that she got to know enough about, you know, bluegrass, um, he had just passed away. I think he passed away in 2001. Um, and so we started going to the Gray Fox Bluegrass Festival. And there's this program there. Um, it's, it's basically, you can take your kids, if you're a parent going, you can take your kids to this, what they call the Bluegrass Academy. Um, and so you get to pick like an, a, an instrument in the bluegrass idiom, like fiddle or banjo or mandolin. And then um, you have these instructors for the entirety of the festival who will teach you. So um, I decided to pick the banjo one year. I kind of cycled through. I, I cycled through bass, fiddle one year. And then one year I was like, oh, I'll just try the try the banjo. Um, so someone lent me a banjo and I started learning three finger. Um, and I really liked it, except I think at that point I was sort of like gaining more consciousness as a young woman and also like a woman of color and realizing that I was like, oh man, this environment is very white. And especially in the early 2000s, um, it was very much like still like a bunch of Confederate flags flying around. The, these were the Bush years. It was like just kind of there there were things I think that I was starting to become conscious about that made me uncomfortable and so however much I loved three finger it just I felt like there was wasn't enough to keep me tethered to the culture and especially like as a Canadian going back and forth it just was like hard to keep that um motivation going and so I ended up switching to Clawhammer pretty soon after that and there's something about Clawhammer. I think I had more mentors around me, more people sort of showing me opportunities, introducing me to more musicians. It was just some, it was a genre where the door was a little bit more open to me. Um, but at the same time, I wish I could be like, like we call them unicorns, like people who can play three finger and Clawhammer. You're one of those people. Um, and I love that. I love this idea of, you know, kind of like, being a great banjo player in all kinds of genres so I've been thinking about like maybe taking some three finger like scrug style classes again cool um but yeah I just kind of veered into claw hammer banjo really quickly and that became my love yeah no totally and I have to ask because you know this is a banjo podcast what kind of banjo are you playing what kind of banjos do you have well um so, so I'm waiting until I have a lot more money than I do because I've put, <laughs> put all my money into a house, clearly, as I've stated. Right. But um, I currently play, when I was in college, I got to borrow an amazing, like, white, white lady banjo. Um, I had a teacher who just put, uh, gave it to me on, on long-term loan. And at the end of my, my, um, college experience I was like can I buy this from you and he was like absolutely not <laughs> um so so I ended up buying something that was a little bit more affordable to me and that's a OT 800 gold tone banjo so it has like oh, nice. a thicker pot um it has kind of like a bassier sound that I like and that's really been like my touring banjo for the most part um but I've recently commissioned this is what I'm excited about I've recently commissioned um an electric banjo um, by this maker uh, named his company's name is Daddy Mojo, and uh, he lives in in Montreal. And I just really like the sound of them, and the ones he makes um, have a scoop on them, and th the tone is really nice. I know tallest man on earth just got one, and so I was kind of looking at his videos to see how they sounded, and it's the first instrument I've gotten made to like to spec like with me in mind as a player and yeah. it's taken yeah it's taken like 10 years to get there and I feel like once I get this uh, I'm just gonna be off to the races and um you know my dream obviously would be um to get oh what's the 
The, Gibson? No. Uh, oh my god, a Romero banjo. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. Because those, those are, things are nice. I yeah. would love a Romero banjo too. Are you? If you ever listen to this, Jason Romero, uh, <laughs> just just know that we we want it. Okay. Yeah. Come on, man. <laughs> Yeah, I think his we, waiting list is like five years long. <laughs> I know they're so beautiful. I know I would like. I'd like one too. I'd like one too. Um, yeah, but that sounds great. Do you have a pickup in your banjo? Did you say that already? I do. Yeah, I have a pickup. Um, again, I think my I I have a bags pickup, a bridge pickup. I think my ideal scenario would be um to have like a like a mic situation and a pickup situation and then um have a preamp where i could blend the signals um because i used to really only like miking my banjos but then i started playing on festival stages and it was just so tough um with the with the feedback um so you know it was just hard to get it amplified in any real way but i wonder if we just have musicians on here and we just all talk about like what our ideal setup is because i feel like that's like every time i talk to a musician they're like okay here's the setup i'm going for now you know like i wonder if it's we're 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 chasing the white whale here yeah everyone is trying to get the perfect setup so no i think what you're talking about is kind of what everybody wants like we want the blend of the pickup and the mic um, but the thing that I found with doing that is that anytime you get on a stage to sound check, it takes so long to do the two things. And then the sound person's usually running behind or, you know, they're working and everybody's running behind. And, and I, I always go like, all right, I'll just do the pickup. I'll just do the pickup. Forget the mic. You know, like that's, that's always what happens to me. And with the pickup, I can do like a volume boost. Or, you know, if you need an effect, you can do an effect on that. But with the mic, you need a, a something to change the, what's that called? Like a transducer. You need something that's going to change the signal so you can use it in that way. But because a mic is a different signal and you can't do the volume boost. You can't do all that stuff. So, Oh, I see. Do you, yeah. Uh, what preamp do you use? I use the bags as the well. The bags, yeah. Yeah, and I have like the 1980 version of <laughs> the LR bags. It's Whoa. like the old, it's like the old brown box. It's like the like the, it looks like a you know a Model T Ford now. It's like just like this, <laughs> you know, it looks like a, like a cardboard box but made out of metal, you know. And everybody's got the fancy new ones, but yeah. not yet. I mean, this thing still works, so I'm just gonna keep it. Oh yeah, if it works, why replace it? You know why? You know. <laughs> um. But no, I love that idea. Like, we should just get a bunch of people on here, just voices, just lots of people talking <laughs> about, uh, like, setup. I think that would be a really cool, cool quest. I mean, there might just be, like, the six of us, like, listening to it, but... <laughs> yeah, I feel like I could just I could just put a mic up at the jalopy or something, and, and we would we would yeah. touch that conversation somehow. A bunch yeah. of people talking about their ideal setups. But, totally. Um, yeah. Okay. So. So. Yeah. That is interesting to know. I. I've seen other musicians who have had the the dual signal, like the microphone and yeah. um, DI situation. That's happened to a lot of people that I know. Is you end up having to just ditch the mic, because um, some sound people uh, are just not. They're not about it, or it's a or it's a quick check, and you just gotta be easy. So. Yeah, and we're not we're not trying to pick on sound people here. It's just that you know historically banjo is just hard to mic. You know, it's just hard. There's always feedback, or there. I always I talked about this in another episode. We're not picking on sound people, but it's just <laughs> that people. I think in general people think the banjo is loud, and then it's just not. If you have drums, if you have a yeah. guitar, like it takes this, it takes up the same kind of like space frequency. So you just can't hear it. And then it's like a problem. Yeah. Yeah. So totally. Yeah. We need a separate podcast about that. Um, but I do want to get to your music. Um, so, you know, just like a little preamble here. I don't have much of an understanding about writing in a genre. Like I totally, I write kind of what comes out of me, first of all, and then if I need music for a situation, like if I'm playing at a bar, 
I might write like a, a up-tempo honky-tonk song that people can dance to. Or if I'm like playing at a festival, I might write like a fast banjo tune that kind of is like, I don't know, ear catching, you know, mm-hmm. that kind of thing. But I don't really, I don't, maybe it's like a, a weakness of mine, but I can't, it's hard for me to like write in a genre. I just kind of write what comes out of me. And I wondered if that was like the same thing for you or how do you decide what kind of songs you're going to write? Oh, um, yeah, that's a great question. I think I'm very similar to you. Maybe um, when I'm writing, I don't really think about the genre. I think when I'm composing an album, definitely if I have too many slow ones, I'm like, oh, I need a I need a one that's more up tempo. Um, and I think, yeah, it's less for like particular events. But if I'm trying to sculpt an album, I'll definitely have more of a more of a top-down view of saying like okay how is the listener going to experience this you know I can't have just slow songs though you know some of my favorite artists like Gillian Welch and David Dave Rawlings like most of their records are slow um and if you listen to I think it's April the 14th Ruination Day that song gets it starts slow and it ends slower than it started (laughs) which if if you're a musician or if if you if you pick an instrument you know that like a lot of the things we have to fight against when we're practicing or jamming or playing on stage is to not accidentally get faster um so I have a lot of admiration for I just think that's remarkable that uh uh, that they started a song and it got slower in such a cool (laughs) way um but yeah, I I think, you know, right I was always going to write. I was writing on piano when I played piano. Um I was writing a cappella stuff, you know, in between playing banjo and guitar like I think it's it was just kind of like this compulsion that I always had. And I think for me it was like how can I use the banjo because I was excel accelerating with the banjo far further and faster than I was with any other instruments in the house, I was like, okay, well, how can I write songs on this? Um, and so it felt, it felt in that way. Like, I think similarly, like it just kind of felt like I have to write, how do I figure out how to write on this instrument? And it was a lot of trial and error and figuring things out. And I think I started from the model of like Olabella Reed or people who I, you know, women especially who I had seen do that um and kind of like grew out of old time it was like how can I write against a melody or a repetitive phrase which that's what old time music is is you know melodies repeated and you know a b c d sections so I started there and I think eventually kind of grew out from there and got my own voice more and more through the years yeah that's that's really hard to to talk about your process and you you just did it really well (laughs) um yeah and um do you ever experiment with like different tunings and things like that on the banjo did that help or oh yeah all the time um yeah like uh like a double c tuning i thought that it's like a really nice and powerful tuning or like tuning the G string down an octave so that it feels more like a drone. Like there's things you can play, you know, that, that the banjo can have more range maybe than people give it credit for. Um, yeah. Especially in these, these really cool tunings like sawmill tuning. Um, yeah. And I think that, that particular, thing with the banjo I think it's a love-hate relationship with different tunings because I don't know I just kind of feel like sometimes they take a long time to get in and out of especially on stage when you're you know trying to like sometimes I'm jealous of like piano players who can just kind of like go you know and and I wonder if everyone has their particular resentments um about their instruments like I know Andrew my partner is a bass player and so it's like just transporting it around is a whole thing and yeah oh yeah you know and like even trying to play up the neck it's like you look at a fiddle player and they can do that very very easily whereas if you're a bass player it's like you're hunched over and you're 
sweating and you're like trying to figure (laughs) it out. So that was one of the kind of like positives and drawbacks that I that I have about the banjo is like I can get into these amazing tunings, but then for to write these songs, but then on stage, it's like, okay, how do you do that without slowing the show down a bunch? Oh, yeah, that's a huge thing. You know, I came to the banjo from like playing guitar and I always felt that guitar, I didn't have any creative ideas on guitar. Like I'm just like either copying like licks or copying solos and I just didn't feel like I could go up the neck. I didn't understand like what I'm doing for some reason. I don't know why, but when I got the banjo and then especially with like the different tunings, it was like my whole world opened up. And I guess maybe because it's like banjos generally in like open G, mm-hmm. you know, when you first start out or whatever. And I just felt like it was like a palette that anything could happen on. I was like, oh, I can just hit this note. And then now it's like a major ninth because it's all in G. <laughs> and so like everything just sounded beautiful to me on the banjo. I think it's I think it's one of the most versatile instruments. You know, I think it's such a cool sound, you know. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And so let's uh, let's listen to some of your music. Um, if it's all right with you, I thought we could listen to a song from... Um, your most recent album, the Grenades album. And I love this tune, Canyonland. How do you feel about that? Yeah, let's play that. In a freeway trailer, the horses flash golden manes. You puff the vapor and blow it off the window pane. My heavy braids fall like ropes pulling softly at you, urging you to look in my direction. The dark hair at dusk flaunts her coral lips at sunset. You are fussing with the tape deck. I am teetering, pacing at the edge of you, mining for a breach in your inflection. Incredible. I just wanted to keep that going. That was just awesome hearing that song. You don't even need to be listening to the lyrics to, to enjoy it. Like, it's just such a good song. And then you listen to the lyrics and it takes you to like this whole new level. It's, you know, like in the canyon land of rock where the twitching jackal hides and the woman takes her time, takes her time. It's just like transporting me you know it's amazing thank you thank you my head is growing like 18 sizes um i i appreciate that yeah um yeah man canyon land (laughs) (laughs) i mean like just really great chord choices great words yeah lyrics amazing and i feel like you're i don't know you can you can tell me what you think but like i feel like with this album you know, you got to listen to the whole thing. The whole album's like a just beautiful. I feel like you're exploring new territory. Maybe this is like a concept album you've never really done this idea. Obviously, it's about um, your your father's childhood journey. Mm-hmm. Well, not, not as I guess he was a teenager, a preteen. I'm not sure yeah, actually. No, he was. His yeah. his journey. J- okay, his journey from um, Granada to Canada after the U.S. military invaded. Uh, Granada and I think it was like 1983 or something Mm -hmm. like that or 1982 um yeah so really great idea and a meaningful album yeah no you had it exactly right it it was a concept album this is the first album where I fully um maybe shrugged off the shawl of saying that I was a traditional musician who sometimes played songs and then finally stepped into that space of like I'm a songwriter period um and so yeah grenades is the first record where you know i've i've written i wrote everything myself 
um, rather than cover traditional stuff. And it was really vulnerable. And I think that song Canyonland was really fun. It was, I think it, the, the, the verse came from just like noodling on the banjo and coming up with this like, uh, like G E flat F kind of like do, 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 do. And, and I think, uh, usually that's the way I write is like I'll noodle on the banjo and trying to find something that's, that's feels, um, compelling. And then I'll write on top of that. Um, yeah. Do you mind if we actually, this is so nerdy. Can we take a listen to it again? Just yeah. the beginning? Yeah. yeah. <laughs> <laughs> okay, here we go. Okay, so are you, what are you doing there? Are you finger picking? I couldn't tell. Are you, you're like hitting a low note. Sounds like you're strumming for a second, but you're also, are you, are you drop thumbing? What are you doing there? I am drop thumbing. So I'm, I'm starting with my, so I'm holding that G chord like up the neck. I'm, I'm starting with my, it's kind of like this, this roll that I do. So I, I hit the let's see so in banjo strings if we go five four three two one one being the bottom string i hit the first string and then i drop them on the second string and then i um hit the third string so it's like da ba da and then and then up on the drone string so da ba 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 yeah and but then really fast like da ba da da ba da da ba da 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 yeah and you're in g tuning um yeah, uh no i think i'm up in i'm like up a little bit higher in i can send you i think it's like s- some sort of like weird it's it again <laughs> the tuning um but yeah but i'm i'm i feel like i'm playing that like lick um but i'm like capoed on the fifth fret there's like some some wizardry going on oh i love it i love it i was, I was like how is she doing that is that finger picking what is that it sounds great yeah, yeah no i love it yeah. That, that yeah that's a great tune and um on this album do you have a favorite song oh man um i think my my favorite songs shift a little bit mm. lately it's been um it's been the last song poets be buried yeah that's um, a great one because i just i just felt like it was very simple and it came from a, a poem um by i think it was Derek walcott but it, it, it was a caribbean um poet but it's all about po- how poets um and i think by extension songwriters have this kind of like ethereal effect on social change um because we're not sometimes we're not like out there like on the mics or I mean I guess songwriters are but you're not sort of like politically organizing in the way that we feel like people responsible for for social change are but but so much literature that I've read has like shifted my mindset so so many novels and and so that kind of thing that happens where poetry helps us bloom and change and look at ourselves um, and so Poets Be Buried was was about that, you know, and I think was a kind of like a reflection about how at the end of this project of like asking my dad about his experience as a refugee and going to Grenada and like writing songs in Grenada was a way for me to process and, and a way for, for my mind to be changed and altered, you know? Yeah. So. Yeah. No, that song yeah. stood out to me, too. That's I mean, they all did. But yeah, that one I was like sitting and stretching and I was like, oh, man. It's beautiful. So, um, yeah, let's do a little uh, comparison now. I mean, with your own music, let's take a listen to a song that's different. Um, and, you know, you're talking about kind of throwing off the shawl of traditional banjo playing as you're maybe a part of your identity and just being a songwriter. And I feel like the previous album to Grenades is, am I saying that right, Grenades? There's a, yep. there's a great, okay. Um, the previous album, I feel like, is a little more, uh, has a little more traditional elements. It's still really song-focused, but I feel like it's a little more banjo-driven, traditional elements to it. Um, 
but I, I think it's an absolute masterpiece. Like that was the first word that came to me. The it's this nine pin album. Um, so let's take a listen to Paradise Fell. Here we go. <laughs> Paradise fell And the tenements grew Swept my soul Across the avenue Paradise fell And the tenements grew The tenements grew Paradise fell And the tenements grew I'm a real live wire I keep my suffering slow You're a child of fire And the Holy Ghost But we keep our hands absolutely beautiful i love that song so much um yeah and so i feel like in contrast to the last song we listened to this has like a very simple sparse banjo accompaniment and what really gets me about this tune is your voice you're like melting from note to note you're not afraid of those low notes you're just kind of like drifting (laughs) from like melody to melody um from note to note and uh like slip like almost like drunken like slipping slipping around (laughs) which i feel like is such a cool way to sing and a cool way to like approach the song um yeah and then later these horns come in very like sparse notes the arrangement is beautiful are you doing these arrangements um anybody helping you on this This is amazing yeah i i worked with my my very good friend chris bartosh on this um and he is an amazing musician, producer, uh, and also plays the five string fiddle. So we we met. I think Chris is like he's about twenty years older than I am, and and I felt like we we met when I was like fifteen or something, and we just played tunes. Like he just taught me tunes, and um, and he was one of the f- the first people I think that I felt like like working with him was just like learning so much about arranging and he really as a musician prefers to stay out um rather than kind of like crowding songwriters songs um and I just yeah I just absolutely loved working with him I I it was a really low budget for that one I recorded it on my like return home from college like my college break oh my gosh we and and we only had I only had room in the budget for like one studio day like one high-end studio day like a thousand bucks a day but I was like I only have a thousand dollars and and he was like all right sounds good and like got we got the musicians together that we wanted rehearsed and then tracked everything in one day um and so I had very little time I think as a result to think to overthink anything and that was I think the beauty of this album was choices were made that I felt really happy about and he felt really happy about. And then we just did yeah. it. And then it was done, you know, with in the era of digital recording, when you can go back and forth for, you know, I, this latest record that I've been making has been a year and a half that I've been right. making it. I like, l- I learned to appreciate those things that you do earlier on in your career that are just kind of like, yeah, here's what it is. Yeah. Well, yeah. I mean, and, and I feel like the album comes across like these are songs are singable They're You remember them. They're almost like folk, modern, more modern folk tunes. They're absolutely beautiful. Thanks. Yeah. Yeah. And you're writing 
a new album um, that you just said you've been working on. Um, yeah, since you mentioned it, let's just let's just bring it up. It's I, I got the opportunity to listen to it a little bit, um, which not everybody's going to get to do right away because it's not coming out till 2024. Um, but yeah, this is amazing it's like you have some special guests on it you have full production orchestration um and it's like a dreamy quality i'm so psyched about this you want to just tell us a little bit like as a sneak preview yes absolutely um the the record is called strange medicine and like you said it's coming out in 2024 and um i'm really excited about it i think the approach that i took i think um to be totally honest with you like the i was really happy with the writing on grenades but the way that it turned out sonically i think i was very excited to play with a band and so I think the way that like some of that stuff turns out, I don't know if you have these experience making your own records where you're like, I liked that. I did not like that. I liked this. I did not like this. And like a re- a making a record is just a learning experience. And so this time I really wanted to not have a whole band in to do beds. Um, and I was like, I just want to do it with a drummer, like me and a drummer. And so that's where it started. And then it kind of like bloomed from there. Yeah. And there were orchestrators on the project from the very beginning, Frankie Russo and Dominic Mecki, who they worked on live from here. They're, they live in Brooklyn. They're, they're great orchestrators. Um, and they were in from the, from the demo phase. So they sort of knew what was going on with the songs and, and helped shape the songs and, it's just a very different process that I'm really excited about. So people can look forward to, you know, some some really big sounds like, you know, horns and woodwinds and strings and also like a pretty groovy record with a lot of banjo and drums. Um, do you know, um, do you know this guy, uh, Andy Schauf? Obsessed. I'm obsessed. I thought maybe he worked on it because I was like. There's clarinets, <laughs> there's woodwinds. I was like, is this Andy Schauf? I wonder if he's doing this. Like, that was, that crossed my mind. <laughs> that is a, the highest compliment you can Oh, ever. wow. I didn't I, realize. Yeah, no. I, I, lo- I love him so much. I know. Me too. <laughs> me too. Do you have, like, a persona that's wrapped up in music? Like, for myself, when I'm playing music and working on projects, I feel like I'm 100% Hillary. Like, I'm myself. I'm satisfied. I'm happy. I'm, like, driven and I'm motivated. But, like, if I don't have a project or shows coming up, sometimes I get, like, a little restless and I might be home, like, what am I doing with my life? Like, what is, what am I doing? Like, should I start a, a hobby? Like, if I have one week without shows, I'm like, what should I do? Um, so, like, I feel like my identity is really wrapped up in music. Like, not even just being a banjo player, but just, like, as a musician and, um, like, a, an arranger, composer, whatever I do, teacher. So does this, is this the same for you? Do you feel like you change a little bit like when you're not playing music or how, yeah. What's your identity with music? That's such a good question. Um, I, so I'm a, I'm a very big time perfectionist, um, which is hilarious that I chose the, the banjo. Like if I'm going to be a perfectionist, it's like I can barely keep my instrument in tune, but like I, I just, I think really some of that is from from honestly like trauma. Everyone says trauma these days, but I think in 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 the way that I in the way that I related to audiences and in the way that I related to myself, it was like I have to give a perfect performance. I have to like present this persona and this identity. And I when the pandemic hit, I started going to therapy. And it really helped break down like a lot of that tension that I was holding where it was like all of my worth is in my music. Mm -hmm. And if I'm not doing music, then like, who am I? And I felt like it kind of helped like soften those lines a little bit. And so it was like, yes, music is something that I really enjoy doing. And it's always going to be a massive part of my life. Um, I'm lucky to have people around me. Like I had zero hobbies. Um, and I started like doing watercolors, which is so, so great and fun. And like, you know, I think my natural instinct was like, should I take a watercolor class? Should I get better at watercolors? But there's like something so fun and being like, no, I could just, this not, it's not for anybody. I'm not going to sell these. Like, 
I can just have have a true hobby that I'm not trying to monetize. Um, and so, yeah, I mean, I, earlier this month, I, I had a pretty high anxiety couple weeks where I wasn't working. I was basically just like watching the money dwindle in my bank account, which so many musicians are familiar with. And, um, you know, I, I think I'm just trying to get better at riding those waves because we're always going to have them. I feel like as, as freelance people, yep. we don't have really have that steadiness. We are always trying to keep the plane in the air. Yeah. And I feel like, you know, that's what contributes, I think, to some of us feeling like, well, okay, our worth is only we're only as good as like the last thing that we've done or the next thing that we'll do. Yeah. Um, which is, you know, I feel like that's capitalism. That's what capitalism is doing to us. Not to bring up these huge words, trauma, capitalism. But like, no, that's, no. I'm just kind of like trying to sort through that and and also be honest, uh, more honest with people on social media. If I'm like, I'll be like, I'm struggling. Yeah. You know, I feel like not a lot of musicians feel like we feel like we constantly have to promote ourselves and project success yeah when in in fact like art is actually how you deal with life like that's what we are trying to show with art you know and i and i think about right now all those actors and the sag after strikes right now and that yeah it's just a good example of like riding that wave you know a lot of people are out of work right now in the acting world and you know it's just like wow being a freelancer and an artist is is not easy (laughs) It's no, no, you know, yeah. Yeah. So I guess like that kind of leads me up to the last question here of our banjo chat is, um, do you have any advice for anybody? Like what keeps you motivated? And, you know, I know you're doing watercoloring and keeping that fun and, (laughs) and, you know, keeping that fun and easy, but do you have any advice for anybody that's like maybe struggling with anything like comparison or like not being good enough or thinking that they're not good enough, like that kind of thing? I think with with compare despair compare and despair which which we all have I mean you and I are professional musicians and like sometimes I just I can't handle Instagram it's just like everyone else is having the best time and is so successful except me like anxious in my bedroom like rotting in my bed haven't put on my day clothes yet you know um haven't showered in three days so I think, yeah, my response to that, and especially in terms of it maybe serving to hinder your art or your voice or like having that extra critical voice, I would say this is really corny, but like there is no one in the universe like you. You are alive at this one point in time when you can record yourself and like whether it's good or not is not up to you. It's not up to you. Your only responsibility is to be a channel through which music happens. And after that, you can release yourself from from that judgment of goodness or badness or whatever it is because it's it's for other people. It's not it's not for you to judge. Like who are you to judge? And so I, I that was advice that I think Martha Graham gave to Agnes DeMille. Um and it's really stayed with me. Um, this kind of thing of like, you only got one shot, like do it. And then, and then just release yourself from the responsibility of having to say, this is good or this is bad or having to be the judge of that. I mean, do your best, like care about it. But, you know, I, and I've, and I've had to tell myself that advice a, a lot. Like even during this interview, like you're like, I love this song. And I'm just thinking of all the ways in which it's flawed but like like you're thinking that I'm like lying or something no no I think you're I think what you're saying is is the truth but I I think I have to also tell myself like you know what Kaya like you did it you you made it you put it out into the world and like the way that it affects people is out of out of your hands you know and like you don't get to tell anybody else how they should feel about it yeah so and I and I remember there's like a a part of that Martha Graham quote I think it's like you're in competition with this is maybe it's another quote, but you're in competition with one person only and that that person is yourself. And it's about like that inner critic yeah. and letting it go and 
you know, it's, yeah, just like you said, just put it out there and make it meaningful, you know? Yeah, and also uh, you're allowed to like your own music. Like you're allowed to like your own songs, which is so radical. But it's like you don't everything you put out, you don't have to be like, oh, I could have done that better. Oh, I don't like that song. It's like it's pretty radical to say, hey, yeah, I put that record out and actually I really like it. Like this song is great. Yeah, no, I love that. (laughs) I love that. And, you know, this past week, you know, I, I basically when I record these podcasts, I check in with the guest a week before and then I listen to your music like in the foreground and background of my life. And it's just been a great week. Like I just yeah, I've been blown away and I hope everybody listens to your music and checks it out. I'm going to have links in the description box and uh, or you can just check it out right now. Um, Kaya, your website is www.kayacater.com, and that's K-A-I-A-K-A-T-E-R.com. And then go to Bandcamp and buy these albums. So it's kayacater.bandcamp.com, and you can find all the albums there. There's like 700 albums that you've written. So (laughs) (laughs) So you can definitely check out some music there. So, yeah, I think that wraps up Banjo Chat today. And, um, yeah, so fun. Anything else you want to add before we sign off here? Um, please find me on socials at Kayakator, Instagram, Facebook. Um, I also recently got TikTok, though I think I've put up exactly one video. Um, so, yeah, please please get in touch. I feel like... The, the the banjo community is great and there are so many folks including you Hillary who I've met been like you're a wonderful person I'm so glad I met you through this kind of like in instrument love kind of thing yeah. and, and um so yeah just get in touch don't be a stranger and you know we can talk about tunings that sounds great or gear <laughs> <laughs> and gear yeah all right well thanks everybody and uh we'll see you soon goodbye all right, and if you have any questions, comments, ideas, you can email us at the Banjo Chat Podcast. That's Banjo Chat followed by podcast at gmail.com. And we'll see you soon. If you'd like to support the Banjo Chat Podcast, all you got to do is help it along with a little like, a little subscribe, and a little review. And that'll help boost it a little bit so I can keep making these for you. Thanks so much.